you are listening to Pharmacy IT and Me, your informatics pharmacist podcast. Hi everyone, this is Tony Down. Welcome to another episode of Last Week in Health IT. So this is for Monday, May 18th. And actually, I know the last few weeks I haven't done any healthcare IT news, so I thought this was actually a good day to kind of go back and talk about some of the stuff that's been happening in the last week. So there's actually a lot of news, and I'm just going to go quickly over a few of the headlines. The first one is COVID-19 lessons from the Nordic. So recently, HIMSS Nordic community, they had a webinar that addressed how uh, some of the countries over like in Norway, in Sweden, Finland, Iceland, and Denmark, how they've been able to uh, enable a sustainable human-centered health environment to influence their crisis management during the pandemic. So uh, they actually learned a lot, and it's uh, highlighted in the webinar. And in particularly, uh, Denmark, they actually prepared for this for a long time now. They spent like about 20 years trying to prepare a system with an infrastructure that will enable video consulting. So then when the crisis happened with the pandemic, then they were already ready to go. So all these digital healthcare tools uh, were pretty central to also the Finnish health system. And they use digital prescriptions and they have a national electronic health record that's managed by, you know, a certain service that has about 1 million discrete users per month. And this allowed them to quickly and efficiently respond to the crisis early, and they're able to launch a COVID-19 specific online symptom checker uh, to their entire health system. Uh, So everybody had the ability to see it. And in other places, like in Iceland, they were able to avoid lockdown restrictions because uh, they used a lot of preventative measures, such as uh, testing, tracking, and isolation. And for Sweden, they used a different approach. They approached it on how digital tools can be used to provide uh, information and also to accommodate remote working. And there was a bunch of entrepreneurs over in Sweden that worked on something called a, uh, you know, a self-assessment tool called corona.sll.se. And it was to reduce the pressure of the National Telephone Advice Service, where everyone was just calling in, trying to get advice on uh, what to do with the COVID-19 symptoms. And then over in Norway, because they were unable to get enough PPE or testing, they were able to mobilize a really good collaboration between public health and private industry to, uh, you know, have a national effort against COVID-19. So because of this, they were able to address the short, medium, and long-term needs and also through the PPE needs and media consult needs uh, and infection control systems and even the way to communicate to people at home and those also suffering from mental illness. So speaking of mental illness, the next thing I want to talk about is psychiatrists are pleasantly surprised with the transition to telemedicine. So a lot of mental health professionals, they say that they're mostly pleased with the rapid shift from, uh, you know, the live uh, in-person interactions to a phone or video service. But most of them do plan that they will return to in-person care when COVID-19 dangers have been uh, subsided. So basically, before the pandemic, there were a lot of logistical and regulatory hurdles that prevented many of the psychiatrists from using telemedicine to provide care for their patients. There was research already showing that there is support for video telepsychiatry that would be efficacious. But there were only 5% of psychiatrists in the Medicare program that had ever provided a telemedicine visit. There are a lot of issues because, you know, there were things like regulatory or compliance or uh, logistical, you know, like getting all these things together in place for it. So now that because of the pandemic, they're pushing towards it, it's a lot better adopted. In addition, they also found that, you know, psychiatrists uh, have found it more beneficial that now they can actually see the patient's home in addition to just speaking with the patient about their home, right? So it provides a better framework of them to do their assessment. And what's nice now, too, is that the CMS is saying that they will reimburse the telemedicine visits in both the rural and urban communities, and service can be delivered into the patient's homes. 
So the U.S. Uh, Department of Health and Human Services, they also indicated that they would waive penalties for good faith use of non-HIPAA compliant video conferencing. Uh, and this is a big deal because that's one of the big barriers before because it, it's costly to get these video conferencing systems that are HIPAA compliant so that you can provide healthcare. So because of that, now it's going to be uh, penalties will be waived. Then there's a better adoption rate for these t- tools. And in kind of relation to that is the next headline, which is Optum. So Optum is expanding the number of behavioral telehealth providers. So by the end of March, they actually had 33% of behavioral health outcomes uh, claims for Optum members for telehealth. And compared, that's, you know, compared to 2% before COVID-19. So they're, tr- they're seeing the need to address behavioral health by expanding the availability of telehealth visits. And this includes growing the number of providers uh, available to see the patients virtually. And as a quote from the CEO of Optum Behavioral Health, we're also doing more by proactively reaching out to our most vulnerable members so they understand how to best continue their treatment, including prescription refills. And the next uh, news item is how Stanford Healthcare is boosting their patient experience using EDW and dashboards. So EDW is electronic data warehousing. So they were presenting at HIMSS 20 digital presentation about how they're able to use their electronic uh, data warehouse to create a bunch of these dashboards so that the providers and, and anyone else in care with the patient are able to understand better of like all the parts of the patient's care continuum so that they can provide better patient outreach, uh, better primary care, better inpatient care, and follow-up. So that's pretty big news uh, for them. And it's a pretty cool way that we can see how electronic data warehousing can be used to provide all of this information that's very important. And I want to go back to telehealth because uh, telehealth use is rising, but the new trends also highlight there's a big demographic divide. So 36% of people that are making less than 25000 say they have access to telehealth. So this percentage is uh, increasing as income increases. And it's a big problem because only 36% will have access to it uh, under the 25k income. So so the big hurdle is, you know, they may not have access to the tools necessary to get telehealth services. Like, do they have video conferencing capabilities? Do they have a fast enough internet? A lot of those kind of things that you kind of don't really consider. Um, but I think over time, as these, you know, other utilities and um, resources and tools get a little bit cheaper, it may increase that percentage. But, you know, at this point, it's highlighting that there is a divide and it should try to be addressed before it gets even worse. And the last news item is, uh, I think you guys know that I like playing video games and, you know, companies like NVIDIA interest me. So NVIDIA, if you don't know, they're a graphics company, but they have a healthcare division called the Clara Healthcare Platform. So they are actually expanding their Clara platform to help healthcare partners take on COVID-19. So this is pretty cool. The, uh, the Clara Parabricks computational genomic software, uh, disease detection AI models and NVIDIA Clara Guardian application framework. These are the new expansions to the Clara uh, platform. And this is going to be part of a free 90-day license to all the COVID-19 researchers. And the software is actually capable of analyzing the entire human genome DNA sequence in less than 20 minutes. That's pretty crazy. So they're introducing, you know, uh, GPU accelerated RNA sequencing pipelines that return results in less than two hours. So researchers actually get critical insights into patient susceptibility to disease, the whole progression, and also response to treatment. So this is pretty cool. Um, I think it's really cool that NVIDIA is, you know, expanding and allowing, you know, 90-day license uh, free. So it's really cool to see, like, you know, this whole pandemic, everyone's in it together. We're all trying to fight it together. So, so yeah, 
And before we go, I'd like to just remind you guys that if you guys are interested in hearing more uh, healthcare IT news, check out healthcareitnews.com. That's where I go for daily healthcare IT news. Or you can also check out some sections on Becker's Hospital Review. They also have some really cool healthcare IT news stuff too. Right. If you like our show, please share with your friends, or you can help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or any of your other favorite podcasting services. You can also check us out on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn, and you can also reach out to me at Tony at PharmacyITMe.com. If you want to network, you can check out the Pharmacist Select group at PharmacistConnect.com, which is P-H-A-R-M-A-C-I-S-T-S-C-O-N-N-E-C-T.com. There's different topic channels, including informatics, and I've met some great colleagues on there, and I look forward to connecting with you as well. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of Pharmacy. And me, and remember, technology is a tool, patient care is the goal. Oh,